Um, and the power company actually charges churches for heat and electricity, and uh, there's just all kinds of costs. And so uh, sometimes we, we try to be so spiritual uh, that we get more spiritual than God. And, and God throughout Scripture actually talks about money a lot, uh, quite frequently. And it's a major focus, especially through the, the Old Testament. <clears throat> and even in the New Testament, Jesus was in the temple and he was watching people get put money into the offering. And he actually comments about it. And so all I'm saying is that, you know, we put up a box back there actually to make it more convenient for you. You can drop uh, your money, your offerings in. And there's lots of different ways. You can text it in. You can do it online. But just to encourage you that financially supporting um, this work is financially supporting the gospel being preached, a church being established in this community to reach its people. And so it, it really is about uh, getting the message out, and God's done such a great thing providing us this facility, but it's useless if we can't pay the bills to keep it going and, uh, uh, and to do things in it. <clears throat> and then uh, the other thing is that um, it's actually, I'm, ha I'm having a really fun time. It may not come across that way. <laughs> but the reason is, is that this whole multi-church thing is, is starting to work. Like I just came directly from our, our uh, meeting in Vandalia, which is um, about 50 miles away from here. It's, it's west of Three Rivers, talking with uh, the, the psych uh, pastors down there and the psych coordinators about stuff down there. And the church is going well down there. And I'll be preaching there tomorrow uh, morning. And then I came directly here to minister to this group. And it's just great to see you. And just so you understand that we are a different kind of church in that it's not the same pastor uh, preaching in the same place and trying to just get bigger and bigger. And that um, our vision is actually to to kind of like spread around. Kind of like, uh, I like the, I like your painting, by the way. <clears throat> but just the idea of blowing the seeds. Yeah, I don't know if that's what you meant by that, but yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but you know, and so we have a. Uh, you know, I want churches to grow, I love church growth, but the opportunity to start a new work so that we have more people in ministry, more people serving, more people using their gifts, and a better, uh, greater uh, ability to reach different neighborhoods. And so there's, there are people that will come to this place that won't come up to Nichols Road, even though it's just a few miles away. And certainly the people way down in Vandalia wouldn't be coming here. <laughs> and so we're reaching new people, and you're a part of that. You are a part of that. This is a, an important part of the bigger package, and we are all then part of a network of churches that are, is literally worldwide. And, and um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in England with leaders from all over the world, and it was just a wonderful experience that we're connected worldwide to people on and certainly every continent except Antarctica because there are no people there. Uh, <clears throat> preaching the same thing, having the same message and the same values. And so we're part of a big family. And that's what I'm talking about today. Uh, if you were at Nichols Road last week, you heard this message already. And so I'm going to be preaching again, but it's always... Uh, comes across a little different, even though it's the same basic notes, but Anthony um, felt compelled that he would like this message communicated here to this group, and so it's, it's about, we're doing a series about Happy Family, called Happy Family, and every Sunday on the Nichols Road and in Vandalia, we're teaching different aspects of how to have a happy family, and the first uh, lesson in it is what makes you happy? 
And so, you know, you can't really have a happy family if you don't even know what makes you happy. And so the question that I want to start with is, you know, what actually generates happiness for you? All right? What is it that makes you happy? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, one of the ways to kind of get your brain around it is to imagine, boy, if you got stranded on a deserted island, you know, what would you want with you? What would make the difference? And we all remember that movie, uh, Castaway. Castaway, right? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Wilson. Wilson, yeah. Wilson didn't make him happy. And I always think of that because he always carried that. Remember the movie? He had a multi-tool, and for whatever reason, he tossed his keys to his wife before he got on a plane, right? You know. But if he had that multi-tool on that island, he wouldn't have been happy, right? It would have been a lot better. But he still would have been happy. You know? uh, what makes us happy? And I'm actually going to tell you what makes you happy tonight. No way. Okay. So that may seem, sound kind of strange, but, uh, but just give me a few minutes, and at the end of the message, you can say, I did or I didn't. Maybe I got it right. But many of us don't know what makes us happy. And that's why we keep searching for something else. And we burn through stuff, and we find out, oh, that really didn't make me happy. And so we go on to something else, and that often doesn't satisfy. And so we try something else. And so the reality is most people don't know what makes them happy, or if they did or sometimes do, they often forget. And if it sounds strange that I would have the audacity to tell you that I'm going to tell you what makes you happy, Keep in mind that thousands of people are constantly doing that every day to you and to everyone. Because every time you are exposed to an advertisement, someone is trying to say, if you buy this, you will be happy. If you drive this car, you will be happy. If you drink this kind of coffee instead of that kind of coffee, well, that one might no. be true. <laughs> so, so advertising, and there's, you know, there's, there's a whole industry, billions of dollars are spent to convince people what will make them happy. And so this is something that uh, is part of our lives. And the fact is, is that you can market temporary pleasure, but you can't market happiness, right? And the truth is, certain products will make you have pleasure. Whether they're good or bad, it doesn't really matter. You can buy something and you can be happy about it. Um, but real happiness or enduring happiness is not something that can be uh, uh, purchased. And so <clears throat> the big point here is that happiness is found in who and not what. Happiness is a who, not a what. And that is a quote. And in fact, the first half of this teaching is mostly quotes, verbatim, <laughs> by a guy named Andy Stanley. And if you've never heard Andy Stanley teach, uh, you are missing out. I consider him one of the best communicators of the gospel and of New Testament truths on the planet today. He is a phenomenal speaker. He pastors a church called uh, North Point uh, Community Church in Georgia. And um, you can podcast him, Andy Stanley, North Point Community Church. 
absolutely fantastic uh, teacher. And he did, did a whole series not long ago on happy. And, uh, and we had already planned to do a series on happy family. And um, then I heard his message on happy and I said, great, I'm just going to steal that and work it into the happy family. <laughs> so happiness is found in a who, not a what. If you have the right who's in your life, the what's don't matter. Okay? If you have the right who in your life, the what doesn't matter. And that's true whether you're a child in elementary school, whether you're in high school, in college, all through life, it's who, not what, that creates happiness. And if you think about this, you know, if you're, when you were a kid, if you were all alone, there's nothing to do, you get bored, but then your friend comes over, you could be in the very same place, same time, but all of a sudden, you're happy because the who is added to the what, the, the setting, the situation. Now you can be in your backyard and bored stiff, but if you're, you know, when, when I was growing up, it was my cousins, all right? Uh, they lived in the city, and they would come out, and they loved it because they lived in the city, and we lived out in the country. So it was a big deal for them. We had a swimming pool, <laughs> and orchard, and horses, and woods, and so they loved coming out. I loved going in to visit them. Uh, because they lived in the city, and I could ride my bicycle on sidewalks. <laughs> but it was really the who. When we got together, it made all of the difference. <clears throat> I remember um, this actually had a long time ago. This is, was, this is current. <laughs> you know, uh, we had our backyard. Our backyard's great. I have four kids. And a few years back, about 10 years ago, we built this tree fort, right? And uh, the tree fort was such fun for my boys for a few weeks. And then they would never go into the tree fort unless a friend came over. And then the tree fort was cool. And then the, uh, the, the tree fort, I'm not up, I'm not all kind of stuff. And then the friend would leave and they would not go up back here. Right? And then uh, a few years ago, <clears throat> we... Uh, we upgraded and I put in a zip line. So an 80 foot zip line. Well, that's if you hang out And the first time William went down that zip line, it was like Disney World, man. His eyes were that big. It was amazing, Dad. It's amazing. And all day. Next day, a couple of days later, they use the zip line. No, no, no. Pretty soon they never use it until a friend comes over. And then it's the coolest thing, right? We blow up the mattresses. Because it's if you don't have a mattress, you just slam against the fence. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's not the best designs of life. <laughs> no one has died yet. So it's, it's it's not the zip line that makes them happy. It's not the tree fork. It's not. It's when they have someone a who to share the what with that makes it. Joyful, makes it happy. Everything, everything just gets eventually, you know, if, if, if the aging process of whatever the what is that, def, uh, that gave you happiness, if, if, if something getting old, whether it's a cell phone or a computer, if it, getting, if it getting old deflates the happiness that you got from it, then you weren't happy. You were just marketed to, right? 
Like everybody loves a phone. Everybody gets all excited about the new phone, right? I don't get excited about a phone. It's like it's a phone, right? <laughs> I've got a new S6S. I'm like, I got, I got the 6S. But you know what? In a year, it'll be the old phone. That's right. And everybody will be talking about the new phone. So, you know, and that, that's true about a thing like this. It's true about a house, about a car. It doesn't matter how big the thing is. If it's a thing, it can't ultimately be the source of happiness. Another example just from my personal life, I do enjoy traveling. I do enjoy going to different places. But uh, I learned a long time ago that even that gets really old. Right? Um, in fact, I was just in, in England uh, uh, two weeks ago. I had a great time, and it's great looking at old buildings. And then you can walk around the street and look at another old building. And you can go down the road and look at an older building. You know, and after a while, it just gets, they're just old buildings, right? Old places. But if you meet someone there, and you have a relationship with them, that's what makes you happy. I, a few years ago, uh, we took our family on a month-long uh, mini sabbatical to Florida. And so we were in a really nice place, in a camper, on a beach, looking at the ocean uh, for two weeks. And the other two weeks were in Disney World, which was pretty cool, too. But of the whole month, the favorite part of it, the time that we enjoyed most, was the two days that we went down to the Miami area. And one day I spent with a friend from high school. So he's an old friend. <laughs> and the second day we stayed overnight there, we spent the, the next day with, uh, with some other older friends, friends of ours from, uh, from New York State that happened to be uh, wintering in Florida. And so we spent two days with uh, these two different sets of friends. And that was the highlight of the whole trip was the time that we spent with the who's. Because who's are the real things that make you happy. And even something as exciting as traveling around the world, ultimately, it's just another place. But it's the people in that place that makes it, uh, that gives you joy. Right? Your happiness, let's move on a little bit from that. Your happiness then is limited by the happiness of those who are important to you. Because, this is the big point, happiness is relational. If happiness is not found in a what, but in a who, then happiness is by definition relational. It has to do with relationship. And so your level of happiness is uh, limited or significantly influenced by the happiness level of those who are important to you. Just a couple of examples. And this is kind of an important truth to, to understand because if you can understand this, sometimes it helps, it'll help you become happy but it'll, because it'll help you understand how to get to greater happiness. Right, let me explain this for a bit. So <clears throat> a parent's happiness can rarely, if ever, and I would actually just be bold enough to say it cannot be greater than the level of happiness of their most unhappy child. Okay? So as a parent, if you have a child that's going through a difficult time and they're very unhappy, you can have some happiness, but you're going to hit a limit because you're going to remember, oh, my daughter or my son is going through this excruciating time. 
and it kind of tethers your happiness. And that's not a bad thing, all right? That's just a real thing. That's because happiness is relational. And we don't want to disconnect and just be happy out there in la-la land when someone that we love and care for is unhappy. It doesn't mean that we can't have a content or satisfied life. It means that if someone is hurt, someone that's important to me is hurting and unhappy, it's going to affect my happiness. And so the motivation or the lesson to learn from that is rather than just seeking my own happiness for my own happiness sake, it's actually very important for me to help the ones that are important to me, to help the ones that I love, be happy. Because when they get happier, I can get happy. And if they're unhappy, I'm going to be unhappy. If you're married, your happiness is significantly influenced by your spouse's happiness. Because no matter how happy you are, when you walk home and encounter them, they can limit your level <laughs> of happiness. All right? What do you mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> you just had a great day, and you come home, and you just get, you look, and it, it, all it takes is one look. You know? And you know they haven't had a happy day. And that's probably your fault. <laughs> you know, again, do you disconnect? That's not fair. No, that's life. That's truth. Because happiness is relational. And so you don't blame them. And of course, this can all be misused and people can use it to manipulate people. But the truth is, my happiness is directly connected to my spouse's happiness and my children's happiness. And so, and, and others who are important to me, and so in order for me to increase in the level of, of happiness and generally being fulfilled in life, I want to help them, bless them, and realize the reverse is true too. That my happiness has a beneficial influence on the happiness of others. Right? And so ultimately, <clears throat> fulfillment is innately tied to who and not the what's in our life. The what's, the come and go. Uh, uh, a car, no matter how much you like it, eventually will break down and you'll move on. And who cares about the stupid car, right? Uh, you'll get another one. But a, a broken relationship can haunt you and limit your happiness for the rest of your life. So our friends, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, all of those things uh, 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 influence our ability to experience happiness and to grow in happiness. <clears throat> At the end of life, people rarely, if ever, struggle uh, with possessional regrets. In other words, regrets based on, oh boy, I wish I would have bought that, you know, Trans Am. I don't even know what, it, I wish I would have bought the BMW. What's a nice car? <laughs> I'm such not a car guy. As long as it starts and gets me to where I need to be, that's all I care. All right. Uh, I wish I would have bought that new computer. No, you know what? It doesn't matter. But at the end of life, if I can only have, you know, one more conversation with my dad, you know, and I'd give it all. Or, you know, oh, really. That's at the end of life. When you look back, those are the things that people, they want to make peace with that person. You don't need to make peace with the thing. Why is that? Because uh, peace comes through relationship, right? Uh, happiness comes through relationship. 
joy and fulfillment comes through the who's, not the what's. Now, some people <clears throat> will actually say, and I'll just confess that I have said this in my past. I've thought this. Um, I don't need anyone to be happy. Right? And so if you say that, chances are you're a guy. Because <laughs> guys tend to, uh, tend to think that way uh, more than, than women. But both male and female, doesn't really matter. You can get to the place where you say or you think, even if you don't verbalize it, that I don't need anybody to be happy. Right? And, and adapt this kind of independent uh, mindset. But, um, and this is right from Andy Stanley, but I, I just thought it was so powerful, uh, his observation here. He said that there's basically two people, two types of people that tend to say that or believe that. And the first is, there are individuals who have always had more than enough people in their life. And so, they've always had people in their life and they've never really known what it means to not have anyone. There's a proverb that says, he who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. In other words, if you've got all you need, and you've been eating, there might be something really tasty on the table, you're like, I don't, I don't need it. I'm sweeted out, right? But if you haven't eaten in days or weeks, it doesn't matter. If it's something you hate, you're going to chow it down. It's going to taste great, Right? And that's the same, that, that's, that's, a, that's a truth depicted or told in a very simplistic way, but it applies to greater, more complex things like relationships, all right? And so you can say, well, I don't need people if you've always had people, if you've just the kind of person that easily attracts people, and maybe you kind of wish there weren't so many people around, <laughs> you know, uh, you can think that you don't need people to make you happy because you've never been in a place or been in a season of, of your life where you've lacked that. The second kind of people that can say that or begin to believe it are people that cannot fix their own isolation issues. Right? So there are issues in your life, behavior, uh, attitudes, expectations, um, thought patterns, there's lots of different things listen, that can limit your ability to make re uh, healthy relationships. All right? And if you can't figure those out, and if you can't fix those because of the way you were brought up or because of stuff that's in your life, or in your spirit, in your soul, or in your brain, and so you can't make friends, all right, or you can't get fulfillment out of relationships, it's actually because of an isolation issue in you. And if, if you cannot get what you want, eventually a person will convince themselves that they don't want it or they don't need it. Yep. Right? So they get so stuck in a place of isolation that they say, well, I don't need it anyway. And they harden themselves. And they isolate them. They kind of get comfortable in this place of isolation. But it's not really comfort. It's just really enduring a state of pain, right? And calling it normal. It's not normal. It's not true. It's not healthy. Because that's not what we were created for. And it's not what God has destined you for. 
So whether you're the person who thinks they don't need anybody because they've always had a surplus of people, or you're the person who uh, has felt so isolated throughout their whole life that they never made a meaningful connection and therefore don't, are not experiencing genuine happiness, for both sets of people, we need to understand that happiness comes through relationships and we actually need people. I need people. Why? Because I was created to be in relationship with others. Why do I say that? <laughs> the best way to understand this is the whole idea, without getting too theological here, but God created mankind in his likeness and his likeness is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Godhead himself, the Godhead is a plurality. There's relationship within the Godhead. And we are created to be in relationship because we share his nature. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's, it's, it's hardwired into our spirit, into our soul, and into our bodies, our physical bodies. You know, that just physical touch, if, 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 there's, if there's a good relationship, physical touch, if there's pain associated, can re release uh, negative uh, chemicals, right? But physical touch, if, if you trust someone and you touch them, your body actually releases chemicals, hormones, happy hormones. Oxytocin. It's oxytocin, yeah. <clears throat> Just by touching someone. And the more uh, intimate the relationship, the more if there's love involved, if there's commitment, and if there's safety, the level of oxytocin goes up proportionately. So you actually feel happy. It's amazing. We are, our bodies are hardwired to be relational. <clears throat> All right. So, and then if you're in this place again where you say, well, I don't need anybody to be happy, you have to realize not only is that not healthy and not true, but it's also robbing uh, your love. Maybe there's someone else in the room that needs you because you are a who too. <laughs> Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> you are a who too. And so you may be someone else's who that they need in order to be happy. Alright? I need you. You need me. We all need one another. Alright. What makes you happy? No thing. Can we say that? Say no. no. What makes you happy? No thing. Now that's different than nothing. Alright? What? Very clear, no thing, no possession, no accomplishment even, apart from relationship, can really make you happy. I mean, let's use a little Bible here, um, since we're a church, right? I'm supposed to be preaching. It's rarely do I get this. I did quote the proverb, but usually I start with the scripture. <laughs> trying to explain myself. All right, shut up, Kevin. So this, there's a, there's a little part, Jesus is interacting with uh, a lawyer, and uh, one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? All right, so this is a lawyer, and by definition, that means he's an expert in the law. And because this is a Jewish lawyer, he is an expert in the Old Testament laws. He knew every one of the laws, how they were supposed to be 
applied in a, per, in a person's life. He knew them forward and backward, and he was asking Jesus, what is the law? And the law, mostly, primarily, throughout the Old Testament, are things you are to do or things you are not to do. Right? And so he's saying, Jesus, you think you're such a good teacher? Answer this one. Which law, which thing that we're supposed to do or which thing that we're not supposed to do is the most important? And Jesus answered really brilliantly because his answer was love. And, you, you know, we don't have the whole, you know, the video of this interaction. But you kind of get a feeling that, wait a minute, that's not the right answer. What am I supposed to do? Just tell me. I've had people in my office. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, well, you have to decide. <laughs> you know, you have to hear God. You have to respond. I'm trying to teach people how to connect with God so that they learn how to love. And here this guy is asking Jesus, what's, what's the most important to do or not to do? And Jesus answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. He didn't even quote one of the top ten, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? He quotes this, love the Lord with your God, with all your heart, soul, and all. love the Lord, love God with everything in you, man. He says, that's the first, and that's the greatest commandment, that's the most important. He says, and the second is, 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 is like unto it, or connected directly to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Simply put, it's love God and love others. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So everything else, all those other to-do and not-to-dos are just uh, ornamentations. You know, they, they hang on the main thing, which is to love God and love others. And in fact, to understand all of those Old Testament laws is... They were just instructions on how to live a life that results in being able to love people, right? Because if I stole something from Anthony, it kind of messes up our relationship, right? Or if I killed your spouse, it kind of be hard for us to be like buds, right? We have to talk. We. <laughs> All right. So the laws are not just these, you know, these just. Uh, subjective things that God doesn't want us to do, they are rules that, that teach us how to treat one another so that we can love, so that we can have that relationship. Why? Because it's through relationship that we find fulfillment and happiness. It's true. All right? Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, said all that, said all that. Paul says it this way in, in 1 Timothy. says, the purpose of the commandment is love. He sums it up. He says the purpose of all those commandments is to produce love, or the end, it can be translated, the end of the law, or the end of the commandment. What the commandments are supposed to produce when they're actually lived in the way that God intended them to live is that you are in a state of relationship, that you are in a state of love with God and with every person in your life. And that brings about uh, happy. That is the starting point for the pursuit of, of happiness. <clears throat> so, happy family. 
tying it into to how do we apply this in our family lives. Um, uh, happiness can never be separated from relationship and relationship, and, and the most significant and influential relationships in our lives are really our family, okay? And it actually doesn't, because I, I don't know all of you, I know some of you. Huh? You know me? We've met. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I know you pretty well. <laughs> See, there's all, you know, when I say the most influential uh, relationships in your lives are your family, you see, that is true even if you've never met your biological parents. Mm -hmm. right? And I could bring friends of mine that are orphaned and have never met their biological parents, and they will attest to this for most people. Right? So even if you're out of relationship or you're out of contact with family members, those relationships often have the greatest influence on us. And you know why? They're supposed to. Right? We're designed that way. Okay? Um, but family are the hardest to love. And this is something I think is really important we need to understand. We assume that if they're family, they should be easier to love. But it's kind of a trick. <laughs> so even when you get married, right? At first, I'm in love. They love me. We have so much in common. You know, let's, let's spend the rest of our life together, right? And then you wake up <laughs> a few weeks or months or years later, and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> no, I'm going to use YouTube as an example. <laughs> Maybe it hasn't happened to you yet. But there are times where because you have to spend, you know, if I, like, every now and then, it's easy to love on you, man, because I'm going to leave in a few minutes, right? I'm not going to see him again for like a week or two. Okay? Yeah, somebody at work, you may have to work with them for a few hours, but at the end of the day, you're gone. And their problems, they're not your problems. But if you're family and you get home, it's like their problem, they have your problems. Right? Because they're not going. And even if it's like a problem with my sister that lives in another state, she's got problems. And I think about her all the time. Right? And very limited in what I can do to help those problems. They affect me. And that's important. Family are the hardest to live with. Well, the reason is because they, they have family relationships have the greatest potential to produce happiness or to produce pain. So anything that has a great potential then comes with a great cost. And the investment that may give you a really generous return Usually, if not always, comes with a very uh, significant risk. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of like an equation, right? And because family is the greatest, has the greatest potential for happiness or pain, it is the hardest because it's hard to maintain right relationship, right boundaries, healthy relationship over the long haul, over years, over decades throughout your whole life. <clears throat> but we think that it's supposed to be easy 
And, and then we get surprised that, wait a minute, this is hard. It's hard to relate to my siblings. It's hard to relate to my parents. It's hard to relate to my spouse. Oh, wait a minute. That's because those relationships are the most important. And if I invest into them, I have the potential of getting the most return. All right? And so building, laying, investing into those relationships are very important. And then your family relationships shape every other relationship you have. It really does. Your family, how you interact as husband and wife, how your children, uh, how you interact with your children, how your children uh, um, see uh, their parents interact, all of those dynamics shape, shapes a person's soul, right? Shapes their expectations. And this is why Jesus said love is the most important. Get this right, everything else will line up. Get relationship right, everything else would line up. And so we want to understand <clears throat> that we were literally created uh, uh, in a way that the relationship between two people forms us. Biologically, that's how it works, right? It takes two people, they have I can. And I did. That was earlier. <laughs> I'm now famous for preaching about sex. I had to preach about it. I don't know. Yeah, in front. And there's John Arnott, the head of our international association, right? I mean, literally, he's sitting in a chair and I'm standing this close, speaking for over an hour about sex. It was pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> but he, he thought it was a good message. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so you are physically shaped. Right? Everything about you is the result of two people having a relationship, right? Maybe that tells us something about how we're made spiritually, emotionally. It does. It does. It's a huge part. So if you're having trouble being happy, realize that, oh man, I've been influenced so much by these other relationships. And uh, understand that there's ways... You know, even coming out of a broken family to gain happiness. We're going to end with that shortly. But just, I'm going to give you a, like a two-minute summary of the Bible. This whole book, right? Seems complicated. It begins with a man and his wife. Right? And their kids. Think about it. I've been thinking about this. The biggest story there at the beginning, wife was trying to think of what to have for dinner. Right? This, this guy, everybody called him a snake. He sold him on a bill of goods. <laughs> right? And that one bad choice, you can think about that for a while, that one bad choice of eating what they weren't supposed to eat, right, influenced their kids, didn't it? And then the rest of the whole book is, a is just the story of their kids and their kids and their descendants and how the consequences of that family interaction works out throughout generations and generations all the way down to us. It includes Jesus, God himself, inserting himself into the story. God was not content to allow the story to unravel. And he said, I need to get into that family. And so he actually comes into the human race, into the, he becomes a descendant, right? He becomes, in, he comes into the family. And, and, and in the New Testament, lives that life, dies on the cross. And, and not only that, but you know, he was, 
He was the pregnancy of a teenage unmarried girl. Think about that. Mary wasn't married, and she was pregnant. So Jesus didn't come into the, the cozy family. He embraced every aspect of what it meant to be a human. And then he took upon himself uh, the consequences of everyone's sin on the cross and in order for us to be rescued from it. But just to finish with the Bible, it ends, the very end of the Bible is a wedding celebration where Jesus is uh, united with his bride, the church, and they live happily ever after. Okay? So the whole Bible really is just the story of a family and how God wants to redeem our family. So God wants you and your family to be happy. It's filled, God's word is filled with examples of difficult family struggles. God doesn't shy away from them. He actually comes right into them. Right into them. Sometimes at the worst point. So wherever you are in your life, whatever struggle you are going through, understand that God is the type of God that wants to step into that situation to bring you uh, love, to bring you peace, to bring you comfort, and ultimately to bring you to a place where you can be happy because that's what you were created. Uh, that's what you were created for. I love the song that we sing. You know, you're a good, good father. It's just who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's just who I am. That's a, that's a song about relationship. <laughs> All right? <clears throat> that's what Christ... Uh, enabled through the cross. Uh, the power of forgiveness enables us to obtain happiness. So if, if someone in your family or someone you're dealing with has offended you or there's broken relationship, through forgiveness, we can restore happiness. Okay? How can I forgive them? Well, because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took the penalty and the pain of everyone's sin. And he didn't deserve it. But he was willing to suffer that pain. Why? To restore the relationship. He took all of it. It wasn't just, you know, a lot of people get up and describe the beating and the bleeding. But all of that was just a, a demonstration of the spiritual agony that Jesus bore upon his soul. You've sinned, I've sinned. You know the anguish that you feel, the guilt, the shame. The Bible says that he took the guilt of the whole world and he was the only one innocent. And he said, I'm willing to suffer the false accusation. I'm willing to suffer the shame and the guilt of stuff I didn't do in order to restore the relationship with you. So we then, because Jesus was able to do that, he gives us the power to suffer the pain of a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister that's done us wrong in order to restore the relationship. Because we understand, because of what Jesus demonstrated, that the relationship's what really matter. And so... God wants you to be happy. God wants you to restore a relationship. Maybe that other person needs to change. Maybe you need to change. Chances are, right? You know what the next line is. We both 
You both need to change. But if you understand that happiness is relational, not possessional, if you understand that forgiveness can restore every and any broken relationship, you can have hope that if you act in forgiveness, you can reach out and bring a restoration of happiness to you and happiness to your family. Don't expect this to happen overnight. Okay? So Jesus died on the cross to set you free from sin, but also the consequence of sin, and the biggest consequence of sin is broken relationship. God wants you happy, but generally doesn't happen overnight. Some things can change overnight. God is committed to your happiness for the long term. Whether it takes years or decades, he is 100% committed. There's no plan B. He's committed to the happiness of your family to the degree that you and others in that family are willing to walk in his grace and his forgiveness. All right? The most important who in your life that you have to have sorted out I'm going to turn to the real Bible here. So this happened. Peter and John, I'm almost done here, were arrested because they were preaching about a who. And his name was Jesus Christ. And they actually healed a guy who, was, who couldn't walk. And uh, the, 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 the religious rulers were upset about it because they did it in Jesus' name. And so they, they brought him into court. And uh, they were being asked, under whose authority did you do this? And they responded. They said, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, in other words, to everybody in this nation, that by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you all. And he says, there is, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone, which is a quotation from the Old Testament prophets. And he says this, he says, nor is there salvation in any other. There's not salvation in any other means, any other method, or any other who, any other person. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if happiness comes through a who, the most important who in your life is the Jesus Christ. That's right. You need to restore a relationship. Now this is the good news. He gave everything that he had to restore a relationship with you. And all he wants is for you to say yes. Amen. I receive it. And in that moment, that the most important relationship can be restored. You're then adopted into his family. And his goal is to adopt every other man, woman, or child. Reunite us all into a family so that we can live happily ever after. If you're here tonight and you've never done that, if you've never made that commitment in your life, in your heart, in your mind, that I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin, and I'm committing my life to live in pursuit of him from now on. 
If you've never done that, you can do that tonight. Right? You don't have to leave here. Home, uh, you know, uh, an orphan. That's right. You can be reunited to your father. And then, all of a sudden, you have a, a church family. And as a church family, we're committed to helping you restore your natural family relationships as well. That's why we're teaching on it, right? Amen. So let's just close in prayer. Father, we all come from, you know, every one of us come from a broken family. Because there's no family on, on planet Earth that's perfect. And so, Lord, some of us come from very broken families. And some of us come from just somewhat broken families. But we're all broken. And we've all been cut off from the happiness that you've intended. And so, Lord, I pray that beginning now, tonight, right now, that something that I've said, or even something that was sung tonight, would lay that foundation of restoration, of connection, of salvation, of genuine faith. Lord, and I pray that you would reveal yourself in ways that we can obtain the happiness that you died gain for us, that we can live happily ever after. And Father, I pray that you give us the ability to forgive those that need to be forgiven yeah. and the ability to receive forgiveness from those that we've offended. Lord, so that in the end, we can die with no regrets because we've, we've, we've made the right relationships right. Father, we thank you that you've enabled us to do this to the power of your blood. Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. Are you available to talk for a few minutes afterwards? A few uh, minutes? For a few minutes, I have to pick up my boy at nine. Okay, if you want to talk to Pastor Cameron about anything, you better hurry up and do it. Because he has to get out of here. He'll be over here. And if you believe that marriages have to be hard, Nicole and I will be over here to break off that ungodly belief. So come on up front and we'll pray for you. You don't have to be hard, but they are important. They are important. Thank you, guys. Yep. You are. Yes, thank you.